What makes a house a home? I did a quick Google search this week and uh, it tells me things like personal pictures around your, your home. Uh, make it a home. Uh, maybe it's the smell of good food cooking. That always does it for me, right? Uh, comfortable furniture, a place that's safe and secure. Uh, even the sound of laughter. And of course, what tops all the list is this idea of happiness and love, right? Like, oh, those make a, a home. But what is it really that makes a house a home? Uh, much of what the, that list kind of had in common is this place of, of comfort, of love, of belonging, but what I argue really uh, sets a house apart into a home is that it has a sense of heaven, right? Like it's a safe place, a, a place that we do uh, belong. And isn't that so much what we long for? I think it's so much of what our, our world is desperately in need of. Because here's the thing is it really has nothing to do with the, the physical space or the material things that are in that home, what makes a house a home is that intangible culture that exists there, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. So good morning. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here at our South Haven campus of Gitwell Church. Glad that you were here today. Uh, especially if you're our guest, we're glad you carved out time to be with us this morning, whether here in the room or joining us online. Um, do want to let you know next week we're starting a new uh, sermon series that will lead us uh, through the season of Lent uh, up to Easter Sunday. Uh, we're going to be focusing on strongholds. Uh, and what we want to do through that series is uh, identify and see what are some of these strongholds, these places that we've allowed uh, the world or, or Satan or, or just our own minds uh, to kind of chain us to and we can't seem to shake, right? Uh, but what our hope and prayer is, is that through this series and through that season of Lent as we journey to the cross uh, and ultimately the resurrection of Jesus, uh, we want to see that we can break the power of those strongholds through the power of prayer. Uh, and so we're going to uh, go through that each and every week, uh, different strongholds. And so we'd love for you to join us again uh, next week as we uh, begin that series. Now, Today's uh, sermon is called In Our House or In This House, uh, and I want to give you some clarification before we go any further on what I mean by that. Now, I'm not talking about the walled building that you live in, whether uh, it is a home or maybe an apartment complex, uh, but what, I want, what I'm talking about, uh, neither is just a place where a married man and woman live with children. I think too often we kind of identify that as, as a house. Uh, but what I'm talking about is every person in this room and every person who's joining online. Uh, I'm talking about you who's the single young man or woman. I'm talking about you who's the young couple or you the married couple or you uh, the empty nesters or you the divorcee or you the widow. I'm talking about every single one of us whenever I talk about this place, this space, this culture of a home that you have. See, God has given us uh, a space and a people and a place that God has positioned us to do life in. And so what I want to talk about this morning is what he desires for each of us in that place, in that culture that we have. So let's jump in. 
Uh, I was reading uh, not long ago uh, and thinking about the climactic scene that we find at the end of the book of Joshua. And so when we get to that point, it's going to be Joshua 24, so if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, but in Joshua, we come to the, this point in the book, the whole thing is built up to this point. And we have a people who've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're at the moment where they've been through years of conquest through the land, and now it's time to go to their allotted inheritance. And see, God had promised this a long time ago in Abraham, whenever God made a covenant with Abraham, he was their forefather, uh, that they would be given this land, but also that in this land, they would be a light to all the nations, which meant that they were going to live differently uh, than the rest of the world. Now, they wouldn't look like the world with its idols and its wickedness, but instead the Lord God Almighty would be their God and that they would be his people and that through that relationship, they would share the love of God, the will of God with the world. Now, it took about six to seven years uh, for uh, the Israelites to conquest the land, uh, traveling to the west and then to the north and down through the south, driving out the pagan nations. Uh, and as they go along, friends, here's what happened is, is no longer is that land the land of these gods, but they are establishing the rule and the reign of the Lord God Almighty over that place and over this land and in their lives. Now, if you've got your Bible, Joshua 24, 14 through 15, that's that climactic scene that uh, I was talking about. Joshua, he journeyed with the people for many years to this point. He knows that their intentions are good, and we've seen it all throughout the Old Testament. They have good intentions, but yet their hearts just seem to want to wander way too often. Uh, and often what it is is it's the distractions that get them, that lure them in to, to follow and worship something other than uh, the Lord. And so Joshua, before he's going to send them to their allotted inheritance, he issues this call, this call of renewal to the commitment to the covenant of God. He wants to make sure that they understand that this moment going forward, life must be different. So Joshua 24, 14 through 15, Joshua told the Israelites this. He says, now fear the Lord. And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." Now, names mean something. Uh, and I want you to notice something that maybe you've, you've missed before, uh, but you may have noticed in, here on the screen, but also in your Bible, the word Lord, the name Lord is in all caps, right? Uh, there's significance behind this uh, because what this is in the original language of Hebrew is the name Yahweh. Yahweh, it's the personal name of God. It's the name that God has given himself whenever uh, he, he reveals himself to Moses uh, in Exodus 34. He reveals his character, his heart. Friends, this is God's reputation is bound in his name, the name of Yahweh. This is what he says in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. 
See, Joshua knew this God. Joshua had seen this God, his character on display all throughout his life. From coming out of Egypt to being in the wilderness to going into the land to search it out to saying, no, this is ours for the taking. To now going to the land and going through the conquest and now standing on the cusp of this moment in time, we're going to go into what God had promised us. But it all comes down to this relationship. And so surely this God, who's done all of this and immeasurably more than he could even understand, that God is to be worshipped and served. See, the people had had victory in the conquest because of God. And now all they had to do is claim the promise of the land, claim that land, and live in the beauty of the relationship that the covenant had created for them. Joshua says, fear the Lord. Serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors in the land of who you're living. Choose for yourselves this day who you will follow, who you will serve, who you will worship. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua, he's issuing this call, this renewal to the covenant, this relationship that God had called and saved his people for. When God first gave the covenant to Abraham, uh, he defined the relationship in uh, these terms. He said, God will be your God and you will be his people. The Lord God, Yahweh, will be your God and you will be his people. And from the time that he first spoke that to the Israelites, to now them standing on this moment ready to go, that had always been true. Whether they were in slavery in Egypt or they were wandering around in, in the 40 years in the desert or, or they were there uh, fighting the battles, God was their God and they were his people. And so now here at Shechem, which is where they are in Joshua 24, it's an important moment where they're having to draw a line in the sand for themselves to say, we are going to claim that. We are going to declare that God will be our God and that we will be his people. We will serve no other. We will worship no other but him alone. And friends, we have to do the same. So what you think about your childhood uh, growing up? Or I wanted you to think about maybe your neighborhood that you live in uh, right now or apartment complex or whatever it is. Um, but there's different kind of houses, aren't there? Uh, we all probably grew up and you had that friend who had the fun house. Right? You're, everyone wanted to be there. They always had Cokes in the fridge, and you could have whatever you wanted, you know. Um, it was always that thing. That was the house, right? Uh, maybe that was your house. Awesome. Um, you also know that there's that house in, in your neighborhood that, like, seems vacant. They never open the curtains, and you're like, I'm not really sure who lives there, but I'm not sure I want to find out either uh, what's happening there. Uh, then there's also that house in your neighborhood that you, you kind of gauge whether or not you're going to check your mail that day if they're out in the yard, right? Because they're those people. <laughs> um, maybe that's you too. I'm sorry. Anyway. Um, but my point is, is that every house is different, right? Right? Well, here's, here's the point that I want to make here is that our homes are supposed to be different. They're supposed to be different. I was pondering this the other day, thinking about how so often in life we've allowed the media to shape our minds into believing that the way that we respond, the way that we live our lives, uh, are supposed to be uh, like what we've seen in a movie or a TV show, right? Or maybe read a book. 
We err towards the dramatic or the really highly intense because uh, that's what we've seen and we think is normal. Things like, you know, and these are very general stereotypes. Please don't email me uh, later. But maybe we've seen that we're supposed to, as men, be the hard and angry and stoic man, right? Uh, So that's what we've seen portrayed on on media, so that's what we're going to act like, right? Passive. Just kidding. We think we're not, but we are. Um, Or you think that you're supposed to be, as a woman, really attention-seeking, very dramatic, right? All the flair. It's all these things, and it's all about us. Too often, though, that's what we think we're supposed to act like. Because that's what we've seen portrayed. That's what we've seen displayed in relationships and movies and TV shows, uh, whatever kind of media it is. But if it's not the media, we look to our past, right? Um, I hope that all of you grew up in a a nice home, and I I hope that your parents tried the best they could. Um, But yet there are things about our own families that because we saw it done this way, we think that we have to do it that way, right? Also. Instead of going, well, maybe, maybe that's not the right way to do it. You know, maybe the red flag going up like, oh, maybe God had a different way. So what does scripture say about the way that I'm supposed to parent or love my spouse or care about others, right? And instead of gauging ourselves against that and going, God, what do you want for our house? We instead go, well, that's just the way it always is. Or we look to our friends and say, well, their house is like this. So, so maybe that's the way I'm supposed to act as well. You know, maybe, maybe as an example, just because your family belittled others or held grudges or, or swept everything under the rug doesn't mean, though, that you have to do that, too, in your house. See, the world, our flesh, and the devil, they want to try to tell us what is reality. But, friends, let me tell you that what the enemy wants more than anything is for us to think that that's reality. When the truth is, is that what we've seen portrayed as normal doesn't mean that it is, and it doesn't mean that that's the fullest expression of what God wants for our own lives and for our own families. See, reality is God's kingdom that we find in the man of Jesus Christ, a life lived like him and for him, and it's one that continues to break in even today. Our enemy, he has a plan for our home, and he has a plan for what goes on there. But let me tell you something, so does God. So does God. And that's why Joshua, he challenged in this very pivotal moment for the Israelites, choose for yourselves this day whom you will follow, who you will serve. So my question for us is, who are we going to choose to serve? I mean, shouldn't our houses look different than all the rest of the world? Shouldn't our shared life to be together be different than what the world offers? So if you've got a Bible still open, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to look at what Paul uh, says. But Paul and his companions, y'all, their, their homes, if you will, looked so different than those of those people around them. So different. They had chosen to live for the Lord. And so writing to the Corinthian church, he puts it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. If we are out of our mind, all right, label your house as the people who are out of their mind, all right? Let's live into that. That's great. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So now on one we regard uh, so now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he, was, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Satan wants us to think, wants us to act, wants us to submit to his ways of distraction and deception and division. But God, but God has rescued us has rescued us from that power that Satan once had over us, has rescued us from the power that our flesh once had over us, has rescued us from the life that we once were trying to live, but now he wants to give us a new life. The old is gone, the new has come. But God rescued us through the sacrifice of Christ so that we could have true life. And friends, that is truly good news. I would argue that each and every one of us at some point in our lives in this room, at least the majority of us, have experienced that good news. It's still good news. It's still good news. And that life that we now have, we share with others. We're ambassadors for Christ. What that means is that we are living, breathing representatives of Jesus to the world. And so why should our homes not be a place that is a beacon of light in this dark world, that shares the love of Jesus, that the way that we interact with one another, the way that we interact with the world outside is shaped and formed and molded all because of Jesus. That is a sense of heaven on earth for our children, for our family, for those that we do life with. And the way that we get there is by pursuing godliness in our homes. Now, I did a quick survey of godliness. If you look in the Bible, it, it, it's all throughout. It's something that we are, are commanded to pursue. Uh, Paul in 1 Timothy, uh, he tells Timothy and us to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. You see, godliness is a, a daily pursuit by the people of God to be like him. Uh, godly homes are not built by passive people. It takes initiative and intentionality and endurance. And uh, oftentimes I try in my own home, my own life, uh, to pursue this, uh, this goal of building a godly home. But there's always more for us to pursue over and over again because here's the thing about godliness. It's not so much about the destination. Like we can look at the man Jesus and say, that's who I want to be, right? Y'all, we're not going to be Jesus. But each and every day what we can do is progress that way. Pursue him. Allow that to begin to take more shape in our lives. It's a, it's a, a direction that we move in toward God and toward Christ's likeness. Now, whether you are, it's just you in your home, maybe you have a roommate, maybe you have a spouse, maybe you have children, I don't know, whoever all is in, in your house. 
But I want to give you a challenge uh, that I want you to leave with uh, today. We're not wrapping up the sermon, don't worry. Stay comfortable. Uh, but I want to give you uh, a challenge, all right? Um, what I want you to do this week is to sit down and think about, be intentional about pursuing godliness in your home. And the way that I want you to do that is by coming up with three to five declarations that will be about how your house is going to be different, how your house is going to live for the Lord, how your house is going to move toward God and toward Christ-likeness. You see, I think that we need to uh, rededicate, we need to reorient our lives, our shared lives together to the Lord so that our home will be different uh, and not like the, the other homes around us. So, I'm going to share with you two tenets, two kind of biblical principles that I hope will help guide uh, your work, your homework uh, this week uh, as you do this, those three to five declarations. Because remember, it's about us moving toward godliness, right? It's a direction uh, that we're doing. So in this house, the first thing is Jesus Christ comes first. First. He, Jesus, comes first. And what I mean by this is that he has to be the foundation of that home. Not long back, I've got a three-year-old son, and he came home uh, from school singing, uh, the wise man built his house upon the rock. So that's one, you may know that from, from your childhood. Uh, there's also the next verse that says, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. So when the, uh, the rain came down and the flood came up, his house got washed away. It's because his house wasn't built on rock like the wise man, right? I can, I'm like going to guarantee it, 100% guaranteed right here, that any house built on Jesus Christ with him being first, that will stand. That will stand every time, every single time. If Christ isn't first in our homes and we're not on that solid rock, then the house is not going to stand. See, Joshua challenged the people, now fear the Lord. And serve him with all faithfulness. And that doesn't happen if Jesus is on the back burner. Doesn't happen if Jesus is only talked about in our homes at Sunday morning and that's it. Jesus has to come first. He's got to be first in our devotion. He's got to be first in our priorities. He's got to be first in our finances, in our calendar, in our goals. You name it, whatever it is, he's got to be first. And let me let you in on something. Jesus Christ gets the best. That's what it means that he comes first. Jesus comes first. And even more, when we fix our eyes on him as a house, when we give him and the gospel truth its rightful place in our lives, it helps us realize that our righteousness doesn't come from ourselves, that it comes from Jesus Christ alone. It's a gift from God to us. We are reconciled to God because of Jesus. Our strivings aren't then to, to gain God's love, but it's of an overflow of our understanding of the beauty of the relationship, the beauty of the gift that God has given us in Jesus. When Jesus Christ comes first in our, how, in our house, uh, he's the one who guides our decisions. Uh, his love, it begins to break down the dividing walls that so oftentimes we build up, not just around the people in our own household, but the people in our families, the people that we do life with every day. And more and more what we do is we pursue Jesus as he comes first, as we, we, we begin to live into the beautiful relationship, that relationship that God has created us for. It begins to take place and root in our lives and come to fruition so much more. 
And just like when the Israelites conquered the promised land, not in their own strength, but relying on the Lord, when Christ comes first in your house, prayer isn't a last resort. It's the first step in in the battle that you're going, because it's God who fights that battle for you. So in this house, Jesus Christ comes first. That's the first guiding principle. The second is this, is that relationships with others matter. As an overflow from our putting Jesus first and having that relationship in the right order, being covered in God's grace, our relationships with others take on life-giving purpose. Now, y'all know that person in your life that just seems to suck it right out of you, right? And you're like, man, this is draining. I need to go have a siesta, right? That's because they haven't put Jesus Christ first, most likely. Is your house different? Are the relationships that you have with others, are they life-giving because you've put Jesus first? You got to put him first. And then relationships fall after that. Every person in this world is created by God. And whether we like it or not, every single person in this world has the opportunity to hear the good news and to respond. Why not, Lord, use our home to be the one that that seed is planted and is watered and it begins to grow and they know the love that Christ has for them because of their interaction with me and my family? Why not? I know that I say this often and, and it's just crazy to me that God uses us. Us. I mean, look around this room. Us. It's kind of astonishing, right? He uses us to do the work of ministry, the work of reconciliation. He's made us ambassadors for the good news to those around us. And that's why in our house, we should be people of God who who know that relationships with others matter. We want to love them like Jesus. We want to to have truth and grace abound in every relationship. We want to speak the truth in love to others. We want, to, uh, we want to be quick to grace just as Jesus was. We want to choose to love every single day because, friends, we know what love is because Christ, God has shown us love in Christ. And when it comes to the relationships in our lives, our home should be a place where forgiveness is normal. Normal. Not like the world where it's a place that's normal. Jesus talks about forgiveness over and over and over again. It's a place where forgiveness is frequently sought and where it's frequently granted. What a house it would be where patience and kindness permeated the atmosphere and the attitudes of everybody in it. How different would that be? The words that we use to each other, the words that we use about others, the words that we use about ourselves, they matter in a house that understands that relationships matter. And we serve others because Jesus served us. So, in this house, Jesus Christ comes first. And second, relationships with others matter. Use those two guiding principles to come up with your three to five declarations about your house. And so as you go through that exercise, I just want you to think, like, if you had to finish the sentence, in our house, in this house, what? What is it? What are those things? And I don't want you to overcomplicate them, keep them simple, keep them memorable. But I want to share with you, there's a family I know that has a few that go like this. They're going to follow God. 
They're going to love each other. They're going to respect and enjoy work. They're going to serve others. And they're going to be and make disciples. See, just those five statements help to keep their house focused on God. Understanding that they're the people of God. And that he wants to use them. He's created them with purpose. And that their house is going to be different. Now, you might have grown up in a bad home. I don't know. But you see it and you said, I want something to be different in my life. In my house. Maybe you grew up in a great home and praise the Lord. I did. Thank you, God. But yet, even still, the Lord wants something more than even what I experienced there, something even greater. What if we dared to be different? What if we dared to be different in our houses? And the only way that's going to happen is by being intentional. And so, I know this has already gone long. But if you've heard anything else, if you leave today and you've heard anything, I do want you to hear these two statements I'm going to make, okay? So take them with you, please. Um, But if you want your house to be set apart and you want to pursue godliness, here's the things that you've got to have. Godly homes is where God is needed. It's where God is needed. I just want to ask the question, is God needed in your home? Truly, though. Like, do you, do you recognize the brokenness in your life? Your life, first of all. Do you recognize the brokenness in your home? Do you recognize the patterns, the, the missteps, the, the serving other gods that oftentimes we, we pass off as this, that, or the other? We somehow try to justify it. But do you understand that a godly home is where God is needed? Have you realized your need for him to save you by the gift of the blood of Jesus Christ? In the darkness that's all around you, do you want your house to be different by being filled with the light of Christ? So a godly home is where God is needed. And second, a godly home is where God is heated. It's where he's, he's heated. We, we err to him. We look to him. We submit ourselves to him. Is God heated in your home? Too often we go about our daily lives just doing this, that, and the other, and it's whatever we think is right or, or whatnot, instead of really seeking the Lord and saying, God, what is it that you would have? But a godly home is one that pursues godliness, is one that's lived a life that's in submission to God and his will and his wants over uh, our own or even those others that want to try to speak into our home. But we, we heed to God. Both of these statements, they take initiative, they take intentionality, and they require endurance. That's not something you can just say today and just move on, but, but you've got to be intentional about it and press into it. Because here's the thing about us as humans is that nothing with purpose happens by accident. When do we ever just stumble into a great purpose? When do we ever just stumble into godliness? It doesn't happen. If you want your house to be for the Lord, if you want your own life to be for the Lord, you got to do it with intentionality. It's not going to happen on accident. See, this is where the Holy Spirit comes into play. This is where the Holy Spirit comes and he helps us. And when we join in his work of drawing this line in the sand, when we declare that our house is going to be different, 
for the Lord. He honors it. He empowers us more and more each and every day to do just that. And I want to challenge you here. Just like with Joshua's declaration, our declaration of our house, it has to take form in a public and visible way. I mean, just think about this. Joshua is standing before the entire nation of Israel, everybody. And he declares, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Mm. Throw away those other gods. Throw them away. We will serve the Lord. Don't let this week go by. Don't let it go by without writing down your three to five declarations. Make a strategy. uh, Have a plan of action, if you will, uh, that's going to keep your minds on what's matter. And that is that you're going to serve the Lord and you're going to grow in that. Then what I want you to do is I want to encourage you, write it up. Put it on some post-it notes. Make a, a picture, I don't know, a poster. Put it in your house. Make it prominent so that you and your family talk about it often or reminded of it often so that you'll begin to live it out, that your house will be different. <clears throat> As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to dare to be different. It's going to be for God's glory and for our good. You might have heard the news uh, coming out of Wilmore, Kentucky, uh, at Asbury University, and it's now spreading to college campuses across the nation. An ordinarily planned chapel service, just any other day of the week, any other Wednesday that these students would have, has yet to stop. It's been two weeks. They're still worshiping. They're still in the presence of God. Friends, so often we let God's Spirit stay at the door. We, got, we let God's Spirit stay in service. But He wants heaven to meet earth. He wants to break open, tear back the veil, let us experience the throne room, the presence of God. And He wants to do that today. He wants to do that not just at a college campus in Kentucky. He doesn't want to just do it at a college campus anywhere else. Y'all, I pray and I I seek the Lord and been seeking him for for years now, but God, that you would bring revival. God, that you'd bring revival not just to these campuses and not just in our church, but God, would you bring revival in my home? Would you bring revival in this heart of mine? Friends, if it's going to start anywhere, it's got to start here. And the place that revival starts is by us repenting, us saying, God, I am broken. God, I need you. God, for too long I've tried this on my own. God, would you have your way with me? God, help me to throw away these gods that I keep trying to worship. And Lord, help me to worship you alone with all faithfulness. Choose this day who you will serve. Jesus said for us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Why do we settle for so much less? He wants to open it up today. Friends, are you going to let him? Are you going to let him? Are we expectant to see him move? Are we expectant to meet him? And so this morning as we come for a time of response, we'll let you know the altars are open. You're welcome to come pray. Kim and I will be down here. You can motion us over and pray. You can just have some time with the Lord. You don't have to have us pray with you. You can stay in your seat. You can stay in your kitchen, wherever you might be. But y'all... God is near. 
God is near and he wants to do something beautiful in our homes. Let's let him. Choose this day who you will serve. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that comes and moves in and amongst us. And God, we pray, Lord, that these words wouldn't just fall on on our hard hearts, but Lord, that you would help them soften and hear the call to true life that you're giving us. Lord, this call to more, this call to a beautiful relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit, would you help your truth, your love, your mercy, your grace take root in our lives. Lord, would you stir us to move toward you? Because, Lord, you are near. And, Lord, we just ask, Lord, we repent, Lord, for all the things that we've let our house be. But, Lord, we're drawing a line in the sand today and we're saying now it's different. Because today, God, today, right now, our house is going to be different. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness to us, Lord. Lord, would you take our lives and would you be magnified through it? We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.